All right, turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18. Preaching a series on Hezekiah. Matter of fact, it's a 10 message series. This is the seventh message. And we haven't gotten into the fighting yet. How about that? The first five messages were all on worship. Hezekiah becomes king. His dad had been a wicked king. His dad had built altars and put up the high places and caused Israel to sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible says of his father, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And somehow, somehow, when Hezekiah becomes king, he decides he's going to do right. Now, what that tells me is for any young people we have here, any young adults or any older adults who are walking around with a chip on your shoulder, trying to blame your parents for why you've messed up your life, you didn't have to mess up your life. You could have done right. Hezekiah did right. Hezekiah would have had every excuse to do wrong. Even the priest hadn't taken a stand. He has to take a stand for the priest. He does all of that. And what's amazing is later on, before he dies, he dies, he'll have a son by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh will be like his grandpa, do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, of course, the great curse for Israel was this, that he was the longest reigning of all the kings of the southern kingdom, reigns for 56 years. Imagine 56 years of what we're under right now. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, just imagine. I mean, basically, at least historically, we've had a chance to change things every four years. Isn't that right? Uh, it's been the history of our country. But imagine when you're dealing with kings, people with absolute power, they're just in power until they finally die off and there's nothing in the world you can do about it. And uh, that's the way that it was with Manasseh. Now, remember the background. You had the northern kingdom, which gets uh, taken over by Sennacherib about three years. Well, actually, uh, within about a year of Hezekiah's reign, and uh, it says of all 19 kings of the northern kingdom that they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they lasted only about, well, about 140 years less than did Judah. At least Judah did have nine of their 19 kings who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. You are responsible for the choices you make. Whether they be good or whether they be bad, you're responsible. Your parents are not responsible for the choices you make. You're responsible. You'll answer to God for the choices that you make. Your church isn't going to answer to God for the choices you make. Now, listen to me. If I could have gotten saved out of a drunkard's home, and I did, decided to do right, I believe that you can get saved out of a Christian home and decide to do right. You can even get saved out of a liberal Christian's home and decide to do right. You see, the decisions you make, they're your decisions. Now, this is, this is extra. This is preliminary. I just want everybody to get this. You're responsible. Everybody is out there is a victim. They think they're a victim. All these TikTok people, they're victims. All these tattooed up people with got their life story on their arms. Why? I don't see any difference between all that tattooing and people cutting themselves. I mean, what on earth is the difference between that? 
But we got this idea that somehow we got to let everybody know how miserable we've had it. Well, I got news for you. I came from a home where my mom and dad, I believe, loved me, but they were drunkards. We had no instruction toward God at all. And I don't blame them for that. That's how they were brought up. They made wrong decisions in life. That was on them. Thank God when I heard the gospel, I chose to take Christ as Savior. When I heard the book preached, I chose to believe that this book is the eternal word of the living God. Now, believe me, folks, there is truth and there is falsehood. I believed the truth. Thy word is true from the beginning, Jesus said. The scripture says, and every one of his righteous judgment endureth forever. It's the choices you make. Well, let me move on. I'm taking this uh, brain food pill. And it's supposed to help me keep focused. I just can't get on the next point. You know what I mean? I get, I get stuck on a point. I think I'm going to have to cut back on the brain food pill. Anyway, I got it at Walmart. So I'm, I might have gotten a faulty batch, though, too. That could be it. Who knows? Well, you remember, he made decisions to clean up the temple. He also reinstituted the Passover. And he started all that right at the very beginning of his reign. He decided to do right and honor God. And so as he reinstituted proper uh, the feast, the proper feast for God that Moses had given, the old-time religion was what God wanted him to follow, and that's exactly what he was to follow. And the old paths are what God wants us to follow as well. And you remember, it's a revival that went on for 14 years. But in the 14th year of his reign, Sennacherib comes down and surrounds Jerusalem after taking about 46 fenced cities in Judah. So it looks like Sennacherib is going to have this whole thing for himself. He sends an ambassage of three men down to the wall at Jerusalem to basically give a challenge to Hezekiah and to dishearten the people. Now you remember, when Sennacherib first comes down, you find that Hezekiah, what happened to him is what happens to most of us. He got fearful right away. He got so fearful that he was willing to pay whatever it would be that Sennacherib would demand of him. When he got the idea for the payment, I believe it was 300 shekels of silver and 30 shekels of gold. He didn't have it in his coffers, so he had to go down and take the gold off the doors of the temple that he had put in. He took things from the house of God to do it. Finally, though, he got a hold of himself, and he decided he wasn't paying any more to Sennacherib. It's the main reason Sennacherib came down to begin with, and he starts to look to the Lord. This situation looks bleak. It looks hopeless. Got an army of over 100,000 men, Sennacherib does, the Assyrian. And all Jerusalem really has going for them is they've got a walled city, a big walled city, and they've got their God. To the world, that looks pretty bleak. But God in you makes the majority. You understand? God is who you need. And so we're going to take a look at the propaganda that is given by Sennacherib tonight, and then we'll follow that up the next time with even more. So notice, first of all, the circumstances of the speeches that are made in this propaganda. In chapter 18, verse 17, 
And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshekah from Lachish to King Hezekiah, now underline this, with a great host against Jerusalem. So these men that are on the wall, they're going to see this great gigantic army, well over 100,000 men that are going to be marching down to them to lay siege on the city of Jerusalem. It's looking extremely bleak. Now, some commentators will tell you that Tartan, Rebsaris, and Rebshekah are not names, they are titles. Now, I don't know if that's so or not. Doesn't make a difference to me. We still call them Tartan, Rebsaris, and Rebshekah. Whether that's their names or their title, they're representing Sennacherib. They're coming down to give a message. And it says that they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. Now, they're outside the city. They're near the walls, near a conduit or some channel of some sort connected to the upper pool. When it mentions a Fuller's Field, that would have been a place where they washed clothes. Near to the city, near to the walls, where people on the walls would be able to hear what was going on. Probably the northern side of the city. You see, evil normally picks its place of attack with care. Those areas that it can most easily get a foothold is where the enemy is going to try to come in at. Then the agents, who we've already mentioned, these high officers of Sennacherib's military, and uh, Rabshekah is the leading spokesman. He spoke Hebrew. Now he's Assyrian. No doubt he knew Assyrian. As a matter of fact, we know that the ambassadors for Hezekiah also spoke Assyrian. But there's a reason why Tartan and Remshekah them are speaking Hebrew. They wanted the people on the walls to hear it. They wanted them to hear what was being said because if they can get the army men that are on the walls, if they can get them disheartened, then Jerusalem will be an easy conquer. I mean, after all, they are giving a tremendous show of strength. And they're going to say some of the most outlandish things. It's a great host, this army. That would help in the propaganda as well. And it's not even Sennacherib's entire army. It's only part of his army, which means more could come along. It's larger than the human army that's in Jerusalem by far. Second Chronicles 32, 7. Of course, Hezekiah issued the challenge to his men, be strong and courageous, be not afraid or dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Now, that's not the first time that we've heard that, that in the scripture. When one of um, Assyrians earlier when Ahab was still alive, and you remember that the prophet had let Ahab know where uh, the Assyrians were going to attack at. And so the Assyrian general sent his, uh, some men down to get the prophet. When his servant, when the prophet's servant looked and saw all the chariots and the enemy that had him surrounded, he was worried. But the prophet wasn't worried. He told his servant, there'd be more for us than be for them. And then he asked God to let his servant see, and he could see the fiery chariots of the Lord had surrounded the enemy. 
And in that particular story, of course, God struck the enemy blind so that he led them into the city where Ahab was. And that's another Bible story that we'll save for another time. But the Assyrians were outnumbered and they didn't know it. But they couldn't see it. There'd be more for us than for them is what Hezekiah had told them. He trusted in the Lord his God, but the Assyrians are going to sound big. And then there was the agreement. You remember back in chapter, 14, chapter 18, verse 14, when the king came down the first time, he came down and Hezekiah got scared. And he said, whatever you say I need to pay, tell me and I'll pay it. And he gave him the figure and Hezekiah paid it in verse 16. But you see, you never appease evil. The more you give in to evil, the more evil wants. And now they're going to want more from them. This didn't satisfy them for them to turn around and go back to Assyria. All right, Hezekiah's given in to us. No, no, now they want more. And they're going to promise some things to the people that had they surrendered to the Assyrians, they never would have fulfilled like they said they would fulfill it. All they're trying to do, and understand when it gets to politics of any type, politicians, world leaders, and all of that, whatever comes out of their mouth is usually to simply try to make the situation better for them. You can count on it, whether it be politically in this country or whether it be between countries, all the saber rattling with China and all that kind of stuff. All kinds of things are said. Most of it never comes to fruition. Now, when it does come to fruition, of course, a lot of people die. But you see, that's what countries do. That's what politicians do. There's nothing godly about any of this. This is wickedness, and God is giving us simply a clear instruction as to how they handled this stuff. That's another example why we don't trust politicians when they say they've learned their lesson and they're going to do good for us this next time. You know, we just had a build back better, something that's going to raise inflation higher and your taxes higher, and with that build back better, guess what we're going to do? We're going to hire 60,000 IRS agents and I don't know if you saw the story today, but one of the requirements for these new agents is they have to be able to carry a gun and willing to use it if necessary. That's to collect your taxes. Now, doesn't that make you feel safe in your home? You remember the story that one of the three greatest lies in the world is, hi, we're from the IRS and we're here to help you. What they mean by that is help you part with your money anyway. Well, then there's the crown and the speeches. That was my political part of it. But the uh, crown and the speeches in verses 19 through 25. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria. What confidence is this wherein thou trusteth? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of the bruised reed of Egypt, and on which, if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt. Now, first of all, he refers to the defiancy of Hezekiah's, or, I'm sorry, the deficiency of Hezekiah's confidence. He runs down the king as giving empty talk. You're talking big, Hezekiah, but you can't follow through. Now, this is what political enemies do. They run one another down. Political enemies uh, 
national enemies, whatever it comes to. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 when the devil appears in the form of the serpent and he starts out, very first thing out of his mouth, yea, hath God said. Right away he's casting doubt on God's word. And then he calls God a liar. He says, you'll not surely die. And then he claims that God is untrustworthy. God knows if you eat it, you'll be like God. And God doesn't want you to be like him. And you know people still swallow that mess today? When it comes, when they want to do something and God says no, well, they don't think he really means it. And if he does mean it, it's because he's trying to keep something good from us. Because we all know today in this very narcissistic world, hedonistic world, where everybody's got to be a pop star in their own mind or some kind of hip-hop genius or some kind of TikTok trendsetter. They think that everything in life is about them and they've got it all wrong. It's all about God. He is the creator. He's not the created. He's the creator. We're the created and we were created to bring pleasure to him. That's why you're here. If you want to have a happy life, then do what you were created to do. So he denounces then Hezekiah's alliance. Here's one of the things that these fellows say that's true. Hezekiah had made a deal with Pharaoh. It was, you know, one of those alliances between nations. Uh, If somebody attacks me, you come help me. Syrians are attacking me, so you come help me, and we'll pay you so much for coming. Now, Hezekiah had done that, and that was a mistake. He shouldn't have done it. As a matter of fact, the prophet was uh, rebuked the king in Isaiah 30 and verse 3 when he said, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. Hosea of Israel in 2 Kings 17 had paid Pharaoh to defend him, but he got no help at all from him. Later on, Zedekiah is also going to trust Pharaoh, but it was wasted money. Pharaoh's not going to come help him. You see, they have no love for the God of Israel. We trust the politicians. We trust credit cards. We trust loan sharks. We trust the attorneys when we have a God. We need to understand. We need to go to God first. All right, you got a problem? Nothing wrong with taking it to God. Taking it to God right away. But you make sure, you make sure that you are led of the Lord by any that you are going to use in different parts of your life. I wonder how many credit card bills have been rung up at a time of, man, this is a tough, this is a tough time in your life. And so you trust a credit card right away to meet it. So that way you don't have to pray. I'm simply, it's like going to the doctor. I'm not against doctors. Luke was a physician. He traveled around with Paul a lot. I'm not against doctors. I'm just saying you ought to pray about it before you go to them. That's all I'm saying. Just pray about it. God gives you leave to do it. You do it. And you can go ahead and you can count, but you always seek the Lord first. The Lord, you'll remember that there is a king in Israel in 2 Kings in the first chapter that God kills because he goes to the doctors before he goes to God. Is there not a God in Israel? Matter of fact, I remember reading the story of John O. Rice and he, he had, as an adult, he had a problem with tonsillitis. Doctor said he needed to have his tonsils out. And so he was getting ready. They set up the appointment for him to go down and have his tonsils out and... Um, He read that story. 
Here's a king that trusted the doctors before he trusted God. And he said, oh, God killed him. He, he decided not to have his tonsils out. I'm not saying don't trust the doctor, but trust God first. Put him first. Honor him in the decisions that you make, all right? Ahaz, by the way, had trusted Assyria in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, and he had gotten no help. You just want to be careful about who you trust. So you go to the Lord, first of all. Then there's the displeasing of Hezekiah's God in verse 22. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and has said to Judah in Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now, wait a second. Now he's saying you're trusting in God and you've already thrown God out. Now, whenever the world starts talking about our God, they never get him right. And right here, Rabshakeh doesn't get it right. Yes, there were altars to Jehovah in Jerusalem, but they were altars that never should have been there. God had an altar at the temple. That was the place that they were to go to worship. That was the place where the sacrifices were to be made. But Ahaz the father of Hezekiah had put those things up and built the high places instead so that they don't have to go to the altar. You know, that sounds exactly like what people are doing today to get around going to God's church. Well, let's meet a bunch of little cell groups. I don't find cell groups. I find church in the Bible. Church is assembly. That's what it does. It assembles. The congregation congregates. That's what it does. Matter of fact, if anything, we shouldn't be having less church. We should be having more church. Well, now, see, I could get focused on that real quick. and We'd just sit there for a long time. But um, here he is now. He is running down uh, how they had treated what they said. Were God, how is God going to fight for you if you're throwing him out of your city? Well, they weren't throwing him out. They were bringing him in. God had left a long time ago because of the sin of God's people. The temple had not been in use. His glory had departed. But now, thank God, under Hezekiah, God was blessing. They'd been in a 14-year revival. I know I didn't say this earlier, but I meant to, and that's this. You get right with God. You get everything going in your life. The devil's not going to like it. He's going to fight. But be of good cheer. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're doing right, the devil's going to fight. If you're doing right, he's going to be mad. The devil's not going to like it. But that's all right. I'm not here to make the devil happy. I'm here to make God happy. Understand that. So we stick by the book. We live by the word. I remember several years ago, I think it was 2005, Senator John McCain had a man who spoke to a Jewish group uh, and said that the religious right was the problem that must be dealt with. But the truth was the religious rights always been a friend to Israel. We've not been the problem. Kind of reminds you of Ahab coming upon Elijah the prophet and he says, uh, Thou art he that troubleth Israel. And Elijah said, I'm not the guy troubling Israel. You're the man troubling Israel because you're doing wrong. Now, admittedly, our very presence has people despise us. For instance, we believe that abortion is murder. It's wrong. 
and has nothing to do with, you know, a woman is really without excuse in this matter because there are so many things that they could do to not get pregnant. Of course, the right way is simply be pure and moral. Kills me some of these people talking about morality. They don't know the first thing about morality. They're experts on immorality. It's absolutely amazing. So we take a stand against abortion. It is a taking of a human life. I'm sorry, these sob stories don't get to me. I'm for, I'm for protecting the innocent, the unborn. But see, they hate us. They think we're the problem. We're the problem. And we could mention a number of other things as well. Parents want to blame the teacher for their child's misbehaving. Drivers want to blame the policeman for their speeding. I mean, we always, we got so many different people to blame for when we do wrong. Just get honest. Just say, I did it. Be like David. I have sinned, period. Don't blame anybody. Say, I did it. Well, that's good. I'm giving you so much good stuff tonight. You ought to be thrilled to death. If you had a sack and put all this stuff in a sack, you'd be pulling that out for another week, just going over these things. You'd be a better person if you got a hold of this stuff. I'm trying to help you. And there's the disparaging of Hezekiah's ability. Verse 23, now, therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee 2,000 horses if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon him. He's mocking Hezekiah now because the truth is Hezekiah didn't have enough men on the wall to put on the horses if he wanted to. And besides that, Hezekiah had already paid a bill. He'd paid that first bill and uh, that didn't satisfy the guy. He says, and now I'm come up uh, and now uh, I now come up without the Lord against the place to destroy it. The Lord said to me, now notice, that Lord is in all capitals. Who is that? That's Jehovah. Here's Reb Shekha saying that Jehovah said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. I tell you what, you know, the, that lost group out there, they can talk about the Lord all day long. They'll use his name and they don't have a clue who he is. They don't know a difference between the blasphemous God of that novel, the shack, and the true God of the Bible. They have no clue whatsoever. And now he's saying, well, the Lord told me to do this. The Lord didn't tell him to do this. This guy's doing this out of his own meanness. That's why they're there. So anyway, then the decree of Hezekiah's destruction, notice in verse 25, and now come I up without the Lord against the place to destroy it. For the Lord said to me, go up unto this land and destroy it. So he's vowed he's going to destroy this land that God had given to his people. Then we've got the citizens and the speeches. Because we continue on, we get to verse 26. Then it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shemna and Joah, under Rabshakeh, speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it, and talk not with us in the Jews' language, uh, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master, and to speak, to the, uh, to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung, and so on. I mean, he is running them down. He is saying, I'm going to speak in the Jews' language. I want them to hear it. They're choosing to stand with Hezekiah. They need to know what it's going to bring about to them if they stay with Hezekiah. 
Obviously, he's trying to get them disheartened. That's always what the enemy does. Hezekiah's officers actually brought up on this part of the speech, uh, not wanting the people on the wall to hear it. And we understand that. But you know the good thing? Here's what, here's what they've got going for them right now. Hezekiah has been serving the Lord, but the people have been serving the Lord for the last 14 years as well. These people have grown in the Lord. These people are not just doing what they're doing, standing there to defend Jerusalem because of their great love for Hezekiah, but for the great love that they have for the Lord. And you know, I think that is one of the keys to ministry. The pastor can't be in it to be loved. If he's in it to be loved, then he's already lost. The pastor's job is hopefully to get the people to love the Lord more and to be, uh, be obedient and faithful and loyal to the Lord and his word. The reality is pastors come and go. They come and go. And I've been here a long time, but my going time is coming. Might be tonight. Might be a month from now. I don't know. Well, if you're stuck on God, you're going to live for God. You're going to be loyal to God. It won't change anything in your lifestyle when I'm gone. If I've won you to myself, then as soon as I die, you'll find some other person to grab onto, and who knows where he's at. You see, the best defense for a fundamental Madison Baptist church for the future is that you be loyal to God and his word, and your commitment is to him no matter what. That's why I like that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I made a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. Even when other independent Baptist churches are changing in numbers of area, changing in their standards, changing in their music, changing in all those things, I made a decision a long time ago. I'm too close to home to change now. Why do I want to mess up what's been a ministry that is known for standing on the Word of God? So I hope that when I'm gone, you'll continue to stand. I've told people I don't like people to leave, and I don't want people to leave, but I realize people are going to. That's part of it. I don't have anybody, though, that is so special to me that I'm going to change where I stand for them. It's just not going to happen, whether it be family or people that I love and appreciate. And uh, I can appreciate, for instance, some preachers that I've known who've made some drastic changes in ministry. I can appreciate what they accomplished, but I'm not going down that road. I made my decision. That's already settled. You need to make some decisions that you're going to stand in certain areas. There's things you're not going to compromise on. And that, of course, begins with God and his word. Now, he gives them the uh, purpose of the speech. uh, It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 18. Obviously, it was to to disturb the people and their hearts. Then the prohibiting of the speech. uh, He breaks all acceptable laws of diplomacy, all the worldly and wicked and uh, break laws of ethics and right. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. 
You know, it's amazing. When you get the wicked with their mouth that want to have an impact on others, ethics go totally out of the window. That's just like somebody gets sideways on the church and they decide, hey, I'm leaving. Okay. Uh, so they leave. But they don't leave. They don't leave. What I mean is, yeah, physically they're gone. But they're with our people on Facebook. They're with our people on Instagram. Uh, they continue to be tweeted. They don't know how to block somebody. Unfortunately, people don't know how to block people. And uh, say, no, I'm not going to keep hearing my pastor run down, my church run down, uh, our youth pastor run down, our young people run down. I'm not going to If you're going to do it, that's fine. But you're not doing it to me. I don't understand God's people not taking a stand when somebody leaves what you believe to be right. And you listen to that nonsense long enough. By the way, and there are some pastors who have no ethics at all, and they will even encourage that. Absolutely amazing. Because if they leave, I had a pastor tell me one time, a, a pastor had said something about me and him. That was not true. Well, no, it wasn't true about me, but it was true about him because the guy called me up and he said, did you hear what was said about us? And it was about some kind of counsel that had been given the guy. And I said, you know, I did. I had a deacon of the church call me and uh, asked me if I had said thus and so. And I said, no, we never even talked about it. And so this pastor told me, he said, uh, he said, Brother Allison, But I did tell him that. Now I don't think any of those people, if they leave that church, will come over to mine. I said, well, you sorry rascal. You sorry rascal. You said it, you own it. None of those people should be coming over to your church. I mean, we tell the truth not so we can keep people. We tell the truth just because it's right. Anyway. The particulars of the speech, they claim that Hezekiah in verse 29, they claim that Hezekiah deceived them, and that's a false charge. They claimed not to trust in God to deliver them because he wouldn't, and that they were, if they surrendered in verses 31 and 32, that they'd be happy. They would get peace and plenty and pleasure. That wouldn't be true, of course. Um, but there would be cost that he doesn't tell them about, a present cost. They'd already paid something, but they were going to, have to pay more to be transported. Uh, many would have to surrender, uh, be surrendered to evil ways and find themselves prisoners in a strange land, out of the land. Their possessions would be, until they come and take you away, their possessions would be gone. And their present surrender would be a permanent loss to these folks. Rabshakeh. He makes it sound very good. It's kind of like the smoking advertisements make you sound like you'll be popular if you smoke. But, uh, and then he mentions also, look at verse 33 a minute. We're about done. I'm, I'm hoping that my voice will last as long as my notes here. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Haman, of Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepharvim, Hinan? Iva, have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? He's saying, listen, other people's gods didn't help them. Your God's not going to help you. 
You might as well surrender. We'll carry you off to another land. Um, Now, there are times, by the way, when the wicked would defeat God's people and God himself would help the wicked defeat God's people. But that would always be because God's people were in sin. The way to get out of that would be to get right with God. You understand, there are many times, you go to the book of Judges, God would take the children of Israel and he'd put them in bondage to the Philistines, put them in bondage to the Midianites, put them in bondage to the Ammonites, because they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the way out of the bondage was to get right. When they would cry out to God, then God would intervene. People just, you know, we just continually do dumb things. So notice what happens in verse 36. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. They didn't shout back. They didn't antagonize. They just shut up. They said nothing. There is a time to keep silence and there is a time to speak, the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, and that's true. You know, there's one of the things I think we have trouble When I say this generation, I'm not talking about just teenagers. I'm not talking about just young singles. I mean this whole generation of Americans, we don't know when to shut up. We get into a lot of problems because we don't know how to shut our mouth. Just shut up. And you will save yourself a lifetime worth of misery. Just shut up. There's a time to speak. Now, knowing when that is, is real wisdom that we all should be praying for. Bible says in Proverbs 26, 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. The amazing thing is the very next verse declares, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. You say, well, that's two opposite things. Is it contradicting itself? No, what it's telling you is no matter how you answer a fool, whether you answer him or don't, you're going to have trouble with a fool. This would be a good time to preach a whole message on fools, but we don't have time for that. So there is the rending of the clothes in verse 37. Then came Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, that was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah, and their clothes rent, told him the words of Radshekah. Let me tell you what these people did. These men that Hezekiah has trusted, they do right. They don't go around, sit around and talk about it. They don't go to the people on the wall and find out what they think about it. They go to the person this was all directed to, Hezekiah. And they tell him. He's the king. He's the one that needs to know. It's always amazed me when somebody doesn't like something that they've heard where I'm involved, they'll go to one of the staff members or one of the deacons and ask them instead of coming to me and just ask me. I've probably only yelled to three people in my 33 years of being here. Not counting my kids. That's not how I interact with people. But why don't you talk to the person that's involved and just get it straight? That's what these men do. These are good counselors for Hezekiah. 
They're men he could obviously count on. Hezekiah has got a problem. It looks pretty dire if you're looking at it without spiritual eyes. For 14 years, he's been trusting the Lord, and this is not the time to stop trusting the Lord. As dark as it may look, he goes to God. Now, let me draw this into today, and we'll be done. In the light of today, we see so many things happening that you say, man, our country's gone. Things are bad. What are we going to do about it? Well, bless God, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to go to God. Well, the ballot box. Yeah, but they fixed the machines. How's the ballot box going to save you? Go to God. God is the one who can turn things around if you don't think things are right. Go to God. No, it's easy to talk to everybody else. No, no, go to God. And if you spend time with him like you should, it should be easy to talk to him. Do you believe God answers those kind of prayers? He did in the Bible. He commands us to go to him in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're to pray for all men. We're to pray for kings and authority. We pray for those that are over us. We go to God. What's the answer for the church today? Let's go to God. He's the one we need to be calling upon. Father, have your way in our lives. Use these words, I pray, to challenge our hearts tonight, I ask in Jesus' name.